the Bible reading today um, comes from Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21, and it's on page 845 of your pew Bibles. So again, Luke chapter 12, 13 to 21, on page 845. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus again. Uh, my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared? For yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Friends, um, it's good to be back, by the way. Had a, a week away. Uh, lovely to see you all again. And uh, worshipping Christ together is nothing better than being with God's people, hearing God's word, and singing and praying together. And people, a lot of people don't get that. Let me give you an illustration. 180 years after the death of the Emperor Charlemagne, taking back a few centuries, in about the year 1000, officials of the Emperor Otho opened the great king's tomb. They found an amazing sight, apart from all the treasures in the tomb of the king. What they saw was this. Picture this, will you? The skeletal remains of the king seated on a throne, the crown still upon his skull, a copy of the Gospels laying in his lap and his bony finger resting on this text. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Sadly, many people in our society live for this world and this world alone. Sometimes we're tempted to be like that. We're concerned about money, wealth, possessions, a successful career, a good marriage, responsible kids, nice car, fine friends, fun vacations, and a comfortable retirement. When it all comes to an end, we hope that it will be a painless death, and for many non-Christians, they hope there is no hell. Men and women who forfeit their souls to gain the world. Men and women who live as if God does not exist and that there is no judgment. Men and women who live as if Jesus Christ is irrelevant. They pursue worldly joy and happiness 
and miss out on eternal life. No wonder Jesus said, what good is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? A few years ago, I read this lovely story in one of the local papers. It was titled, Saved But Not Without Her Handbag. And it was a woman, Mrs. Choi, who was stranded on the top of her car when floodwaters threatened to wash her away. She clutched her shoes in one hand, her handbag in the other. She was on top of her car down by Wallow Creek near Bexley. You know, always floods over there. The paramedics came and this woman was about to suffer exposure. And the paramedic, the Westpac paramedic said, I told her she needed both hands free for the lift up. But she wasn't going to leave her handbag nor her shoes behind. She just would not let them go, he said. So, crouched on the car roof with a fast-moving Wallay Creek, a few centimetres below and rising, Mr Thistleton knew further argument was a dangerous waste of time. So I grabbed them off her and we lifted her to safety. At the end of it, she said, I am so happy that I have my bags and my shoes. Happy to be rescued, but not without her shoes and handbag. Crazy to risk your life for earthly possessions. Friends, in Luke 12, 13 to 21, Jesus accounts a man who is in the middle of a conflict with his brother over possessions. Must understand the context of the parable that comes afterwards to understand these, its fuller meaning. And Jesus reminds us that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Firstly, life is not about possessions, this, verses 13 to 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Friends, this man has chosen his moment very carefully. It serves his purpose to have his encounter with Rabbi Jesus in a public setting. The crowds are following Jesus. This man interrupts Jesus to seek to get his way with his brother. The man says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. We're assuming the brother is in the crowd as well. Can you imagine you and your brother and your brother's telling someone else who has some authority and power to tell you to do the right thing and everyone now looks at you, shame, embarrassment. You are now the center of attention. You're the bad guy who's not doing the right thing. Now it's not unusual for men to ask the rabbis to intercede to help them sort out these kinds of situations. Rabbis could arbitrate when the two people could not agree. But as you would know in the Middle East, and I guess in Australia, when you're dividing up property, think about the death of a parent and then the fights that take place over wills, right? Who gets what? Happens in Australia all the time. But imagine in the Middle East where there is property, and how do you divide the property up evenly? Some parts of the property are more valuable, some are less valuable. How do you divide it and come to an agreement? 
See, land in Israel is very important. How you divide it up is very special. But you see, the man really doesn't want arbitration. He orders Jesus to carry out his wishes. He could be saying, everyone knows that I'm in the right, Jesus. But my brother just won't do what the right thing is. Can you urge him, can you tell him to do the right thing? This man may be within his legal rights. He may be correct. His brother may be treating him unfairly. But as someone has written, it is a naked cry for justice. A demanding voice saying, give me my rights at the expense of my relationship with my brother. Give me my rights at the expense of my relationship with my brother. And Jesus therefore has a dilemma. He orders and makes a judgment and this relationship between the brothers is severed forever. Jesus chooses not to intervene. Jesus believes there is something more important than the splitting up of possessions. Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? He says, I'm not going to decide. I refuse to play this game. Now, one writer says, Jesus was not showing indifference to the claims of legal justice, but was insisting that there is a greater gain than getting an inheritance and a greater loss than losing it. Life is not about possessions. That's why he goes on to say, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of your possessions. Be careful what drives you. That's why Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. You must choose. Sometimes money dominates us. Possessions dominate. There's a joke told about a lawyer. Apologies to all the lawyers out here. It says a lawyer opened the door of his BMW. Picture this, right? The lion is BMW. And suddenly a car came along and hit the door, ripping it off completely. When the police arrived at the scene, the lawyer was complaining bitterly about the damage to his precious BMW. He says, officer, look what they've done to my Beamer. He says, oh, you lawyers are so materialistic. You make me sick, he said. A bit unkind. You're so worried about your stupid BMW, you didn't even notice that your left arm was ripped off. <laughs> and he says, oh, no. Where's my Rolex? <laughs> Be on your guard, says Jesus. But all kinds of greed. You know, there's a husband who works long hours to secure his family. Yet one day he comes home and all he finds is a note. The wife has moved out with the kids. She didn't want the money, she wanted a relationship. He worked hard for the money, the security, the affluence and success and that became his God. He got his money but he lost everything. Jesus warns us and I guess we live in a pretty wealthy society although it's not good the last six months <laughs> and it might get tougher for us. But we need to ensure that we do not become self-obsessed materialists. It is foolish to, foolish to be such a person. Now, Jesus tells a story, and uh, you heard the, the parable that was read to us about what we might call the rich fool. Is that this man was already rich. He was already wealthy. And we're told that one year he had a bumper crop. It was fabulous beyond his dreams. And he's working out what to do with his crop. 
in the story that Jesus tells us. Now, two things needed to be done. If you're a Jewish man in that first century, two things. Number one, you should thank God and praise him for his blessing. When, when you are blessed with a bumper crop, you say, thank you, God. And one of the ways in which you would express that, uh, that thanks to God would be offering a portion of the crop to the synagogue, where some would be sacrificed, some kept for the maintenance of the priests, and the rest given to the poor. The Apostle Paul writes the Christian should work for two reasons, so as not to be a burden to others, 2 Thessalonians 7, so that he may be able to give to those in need, Ephesians 4.28. But this man, giving to the needy never enters his mind, praising God never enters his mind. Secondly, when God blesses you in that Middle Eastern context, you ought to celebrate your good fortune with your community, family and friends. Now, in Luke 15, we'll consider that parable in a little, in a couple of weeks. When the prodigal son returns, what happens? What does the father do? He throws a party. He's been blessed, so he wants everyone to share in the joy and the celebration of the blessing that God has brought upon him. In your village communities, that's what you would do. Not so this man. In his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning writes, and Brennan Manning would speak at different retreats and, and, and events, he said, I was at one retreat, and at the end of the retreat, I finished speaking, a man came up to me and said, I want you to take this. I prayed about it. I, I want to give this to you. And he gave me an envelope, and he put it in his pocket. Uh, late that night, he went home, and as he emptied his pockets, uh, an envelope fell out, uh, and there was a check for $6,000. And uh, Brendan Manning said, well, I didn't need that. I've already been paid for the event. But Brennan Manning had visited, uh, only recently visited a city garbage dump in Mexico where people live in the dump. And they go around and, and they collect bits and pieces from the dump just to survive and to live. So he sent it to a man he'd met there, a man who had had ten children, but three had already passed away because of the grinding poverty in that area. And he gave it, sent it to this man. And it's just interesting, when this man received the check, what did he do with it? Did he keep it for himself? No. He said, this man wrote, nine, write, wrote to me nine letters in two days, overflowing with gratitude, describing in detail how he was using the money to help his own family and all the other neighbours in the dump. Blessed sharing it to bless others. And friends, here at Nawi Baptist Church, one of the reasons why we do Bibles for the Persecuted Church, because if God has blessed us with the Word of God and we, we can access it on our phones, uh, in prints, and we've got children's Bibles and others, we want to ensure that the Word of God gets into the hands of our brothers and sisters around the globe who don't have it. We want to ensure that places that don't have Bible colleges like we do, we can train church leaders and church planters so they can reach other people for Jesus. Why we sponsor children through Baptist World Aid and Compassion and World Vision and other groups is because we believe that God, if he has blessed us, we ought to then give to bless others. You have been bringing in shoeboxes for Samaritan's Purse. Why we do that is because we want to take the gospel and blessing to other people across the nations. When God gives to you, he calls you to be a giving, blessing person. What did the rich man do? No praise of God, no feast. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And, 
And he says he discussed with himself. He thought to himself, well, the language also says he discussed with himself. He dialogued with himself. I don't have barns big enough to store everything I have. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, do you have plenty of good things laid up for many years? Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Notice the language. What shall I do with my barns, my grain, my goods? Do you notice that? It's all about him. In the Greek, and you there are 12 personal pronouns, I or my. He never thought about God or others in this parable that Jesus tells. He is a self-censored and self-obsessed man. He invested all in his own future. But he is separated from God. He is separated from fellow men and women. And he is alone. And God intervenes. God said to him, you fool. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Friends, in 2010, quiz winner Brett McDonald died in a crash at the wheel of a car he bought with the $250,000 he won on the television game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? He was 34. He, uh, he, he had struggled financially, and he worked hard to go on the show. He trained himself, he prepared, and he won $250,000 thousand dollars. His sister wrote, the last few months for Brett were absolutely sensational. He lived like there was no tomorrow. He was killed instantly when his black Honda Prelude spun out of control, 2.45 a.m. by the way on a Saturday, and crashed head-on with an oncoming Subaru Liberty sedan in the Perth suburb of Bedford. He'd been on his way home from a nightclub when his car apparently failed to take a bend in the road. The car was his first big purchase after his quiz win. He loved his car, his sister said. I think he always liked fast things. Several weeks ago, he moved out of his rented units and into his own house. He ordered new furniture, which is due to have arrived tomorrow. It's a tragic story all round. So what started as a humble aspiration to do something for his cricket club, he went on hoping to win a few thousand dollars uh, to buy a, a machine for his cricket club, developed into something bigger, and in the end seems to have ended in his downfall. It was a good luck story on one hand, but it ended in tragedy. We see that time and time again. Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus is saying, don't be self-indulgent. Be rich toward God. Love him, honor him, and let it be reflected in how you treat other people. And then what is the response of the brother in the crowd? Because you see, when Jesus has this encounter with this man asked for his inheritance, tells his, tell my brother to give him my inheritance, he then tells the story. But he doesn't tell us the response of the brother in the crowd. If you're the brother listening to Jesus speak, what do you think now? Maybe I should sort out my relationship with my brother. The brother should have condemned the rich fool in the parable. Amen. 
As Jesus tells the story, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> He's an idiot. He spent all his money, all his focus on his money. He's lost everything. Did that brother still think that his greatest asset was his inheritance or was it in fact his relationship with his brother? Did he still want half the land at the expense of his relationship? We're not told the answer to that story. But friends, we need to encourage each other to be rich toward God, don't we? Jesus says, don't be a fool, be rich towards me. And a right response to Jesus will lead to a right response to others. Australian speaker, the late John Chapman, tells the story of being on a Sunday school picnic as a child at the Royal National Park. Many of you have been there, probably rowing a boat. I've been there multiple times. And almost lost people drowning there myself. But he said they were rowing as young Sunday school kids and a little boy fell, fell out of the boat and one of the teachers there, who was not a strong swimmer either, jumped in to save the boy. And so as he ju- jumped in, he sort of was able to have enough strength to push the boy back towards the boat and the boys in the boat were able with the oar to drag him in and bring the little boy to safety. But the teacher, on the other hand, got caught in the weeds and the current moved him away and ended up passing away and drowning. And Chapman writes, that little boy was slightly younger than me, so I guess now he would be about 65. I don't know if he ever thinks about it, but if this morning when he woke up and he said to himself, I'm alive today because Mr. Brooks died for me, you wouldn't think he was exaggerating, would you? And friends, Jesus' death is much more profound than that. A planned death, a sacrificial death, dying in our place for our salvation. Be rich towards him. The Bible says, for God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, I am forgiven and alive today because Jesus died for me. I would be a fool to push him out of my life. I would be a fool to live for money and this world alone in light of all that he has done for me. This parable is a cautionary tale. Just don't make the mistake the man made. Don't destroy your relationships for money. Don't push God out of the picture. Be rich toward God and toward others. We need to be prepared for eternity. 1 John 5 says, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Trust him. Know him. Find joy in him and find life in him. Friends, a few years ago, uh, a person I used to work with and uh, was 40 years of age and died suddenly. Died suddenly of a heart attack. She got some infection in her heart, ended up in hospital. Within two weeks, she passed away. She'd had a difficult first marriage, uh, an abusive first marriage. She moved out of that. I first met her at Sydney Teachers College and we talked about Jesus. We debated about Jesus, in fact. By the grace of God, God brought her to Marigold, where I taught. So we were sitting next to each other in the staff room. I give her a Bible, try and take her to Christian events to hear the gospel. And one day she got engaged and said, I don't, want to know, I don't want to know any more about Jesus. Don't give me a Bible, don't talk to me about God. I had to leave it there. 
didn't want to know about God, then a few years later I'm at her funeral. All the old staff were there. I'd been in ministry for a number of years now. Broken, shattered. The priest spoke, as they do in the Greek Orthodox Church, about life and hope and so on. But not once did he say that she had a faith in Christ. Not once did, did he say that she was a follower of Jesus. Not once did he give us any of that confidence. But just hoping because she was within that religious system, maybe there is hope for her. You never know when your life will be taken. When you'll be ready for eternity. Let me conclude with the story of two other brothers. The first encounter with Jesus was a brother confronting Jesus, ordering Jesus to tell his to divide the property with his brother. These are two other brothers. It's a Middle Eastern scene. So there were once two brothers in Palestine, one of whom was very wealthy. Get the picture here. The other was desperately poor. The rich brother was alone for he had no children, while the poor brother had many sons and daughters. It seemed to others that it was dreadfully inequitable for the rich brother, on one hand, had no one to share his wealth with, and the poor, poor brother had great difficulty feeding his large family. But in spite of this disparity, they were as close as brothers could be. One day, their father called them together. He explained that he was very ill, and he did not expect to last until evening. He wanted to be clear about the fact that they were to divide the inheritance equally, he said, the father said. In fact, he told them that he had set a landmarker in the center of his property to mark the division. Father's already planned it, so the marker is there. No arguments after my death. It was his desire that there would be no squabbles after he had gone. The landmarker, he thought, would maintain the unity between his sons that he had so admired. Sure enough, the day he passed quietly from this world that night, the two brothers buried him respectfully before nightfall as the custom dictated to them. That night, as the rich brother lay in bed, he could not sleep. What my father did was quite unfair, he mused. I have more wealth than I know what to do with, while my brother works like a dog just to make ends meet. His children starve while I eat my fill. I know what I'll do, he says. I'll give my brother a gift of the larger portion of the inheritance. But he suspected that his brother was too proud to accept such a gift. So he determined to get up early before sunrise and move the landmarker to ensure his brother had the lion's share of the legacy. But at the same time, the poor brother tossed restless, restlessly on his bed. What my father did was quite unfair, he said. I am surrounded by the love of my children, while my brother continually faces the shame of having no heirs to carry on his name, no daughters to care for him in his old age. To compensate for his poverty, I will make him a gift of the greatest share of the father's inheritance. But he knew that his wealthy brother would never accept a gift like that from his poorer brother, so he set himself to rise early, while it was still dark, and moved the landmarker in order that, to ensure that his brother received the lion's share of the inheritance. And the tale says that next morning, 
while the air was crisp and the sky still black. But not a sound could be heard. Two brothers met at the old landmarker and embraced each other with tears of love. Amen.